Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because it was Chip's project, you know. I mean, if you look at the label, I'm on there, Kirk's on No, but there. you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Right. Everybody says, oh, you know what? Right, right. And uh, and that's me saying time to Jack. You know, just my voice tuned down on, on the record. So, time to Jack. Right, right, right. Time right. to Jack. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Um, you know, I've had conversations with, with Chip about, you know, and Chip, Chip says, Joe, you know, you got so many records, you know, um, you know, now, you know, it's, it's like, uh, he wanted the record, you know, he's like, you know, this is, this needs to be my record. This is my defining record. So, you know, I'm like, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's qualified, you know, it's like, you know, why not, you know, um, because it was Chip's idea, the original concept, which sure. was, uh, was Chip's idea. So, so you know, I li- I left it with Chip, and then uh, it's like even the new, you know, you know, I I, I introduced Chip to Carl, uh, Carl Cox. You know, Carl was, um, uh, you know, he said he got into house music because of Time to Jack. Right. So I, I that. I kind of connected them together uh, uh, as a as a situation to. Uh, to to redo um the ep or time to jack and um and so that happened they came to you know came to pass and um and i think it's a a lot of there's a lot of um um a lot of things that i try to facilitate you know i want i want people to be successful i want the culture to continue um you know, they goes even to um like back in '91 when when um you know I got together with Rocky and Julian and said let's open up a new warehouse. You know because I wanted to um to give the another generation an experience of like what we experienced back in in the '80s, and so there was not really a club that was set up to deliver that. Um, so, you know, we put a killer sound system together, um, kind of looked around the city to find the best DJs, uh, underground DJs who kind of, who fit that mold. You know, you had, um, uh, Armando Gallup, uh, Mike Dunn, K-Alexi. K-Alexi, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, Gene Hunt. Um, huh? you, at your, you know, Julian was was part of the of, uh, the warehouse. So it was Julian Perez, um, jumping Julian, yep, jumping Perez. So you know, you had a lot of uh, the best DJs um, out of Chicago mm-hmm. uh, brought into the warehouse to kind of deliver that sound. So when you when you hear like today, um, househeads, they're they're not really talking about from the original warehouse. They're talking about from the warehouse that that we opened up on Randolph and Halstead, because those are the younger. Uh, that's the younger generation who had who had been exposed to uh, house music. You know, um, I'm gonna which, jump back up a little bit, which will make them between 45 and 60. The age right. Group. Well, yeah. Yeah. Young Young is 45 because they can't be younger than 45 to be able to experience that era. <laughs> right. So um so I'm gonna jump back a little bit. So um 
so now back, we're going to go all the way back to Smart Bar. So Smart Bar, um, you know, like I said, it was becoming super popular and, you know, we were getting uh, thousands of people through the, through the club through the night. At, at, um, in 85, um, Peter Gation came to Chicago. Oh, I Lime worked for him too. I worked for Peter Gation. Yep. From Limelight. So what ended up happening was um, at the time, like I, I had been at Smart Bar for a few years and I, I was, um, um, and like I said, I'm, I'm very into the next thing. And um, so Jesse De La Pena was DJing at, uh, came in and started DJing every now and then at Smart Bar. But I li- and I like Jesse and his sound. And at that point, I was looking for something different to do. And I thought Jesse fit Smart Bar really well. So you got Jesse, you got people like uh, Derek Carter, um, you know, who kind of came in and, and, you know, after I, after I decided to leave. So I met with Peter with, um, um, you know, the various entities from Limelight and, um, and I moved from Smart Bar to Limelight and um, became the musical director and head of music for, for Limelight in Chicago. And, um, so the whole thing there created a whole the disco Martin Circus, you know, walk the night, a whole underground vibe in the club. You know, it wasn't, you know, Limelight, like I think was typically known for more like a rock environment, but I flipped it and made it underground, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it worked really well uh, in Chicago. So um so there were like various Can I ask you something about the limelight demographics? What was the demographic of that crowd when you took it over? So I I was there the first night it opened in in Chicago. So it was a predominantly white crowd, but they were into the music, you know. And I would would mix it up the same thing. Like, you know, when I was doing the Smart Bar, it may be some uh, Simple Minds or some... uh, uh, Tears for Fear or, you know, Talk Talk, but I'm mixing it, like I said, with Martin Circus, Walk the Night, uh, you know, uh, your your underground club vibe, you know, this uh, stuff, D-Train, you know, stuff like that, the house tracks, you know, Can You Feel It, Move Your Body, you know, it was just creating a certain energy in an environment. Um so we can jump from that. So, so just music. There's just like a a, a whole music history um, that I guess really hasn't hadn't been told, or hasn't really been told about like like my musical journey through the clubs in Chicago. And um, and I'm you know, so glad you're telling it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. And so, and it's, and it's where like a lot of, so like even after, uh, after I decided to leave Limelight and uh, Jesse followed me from Smart Bar to Limelight, you know, and you had your uh, Mark Pazin, um, you know, Jeff Pazin, um, you know, these the DJs, they all kind of made that transition from Smart Bar, Limelight. Uh, from Limelight, I went to another club called Charlie Club. It was like a four-level nightclub in Chicago. 
that was inside of a health club. And then we, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it lasted for a while. The the thing was that the owner of Charlie Club um, wanted a nightclub for his. It was a health club. He wanted he wanted people for his uh, his health club to have a, a spot. But when I went in there and took it over, um, everybody was coming there. So this is like a four story nightclub that you got like a thousand people in. <laughs> Um, you had to take elevators to get to the fort, to the club. <laughs> so there was no, you know, it's like a health hazard that it was so crowded. It was so packed all the time. So, um, so yeah, so those are, so they're like different journeys. So from that Riviera nightclub, um, you know, I would do like the Riviera with Jeff Davis. Um, there was just a lot of the major big clubs that I was like, um, very um like a main dj or one of the one of the main djs um around chicago you Um, because you had the crowd following you wherever you went yeah 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 so joe smooth (laughs) so you know and it it was crazy because after i got into more on the production side like a lot of people through europe never knew i dj you know and they never knew the history of you know back in like smart bar and all that and 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 through those years, I would probably have been like the top DJ in Chicago that was that wasn't on the underground scene, you know. And um, and it, it kind of I guess gave a perspective me musically, you know, what I was playing, uh, and on the production side of things, just trying to create, you know, quality music. Um, across the board like i said when when i was um you know if i was doing something with uh, like the art of noise there was a group called bross from the uk um new order um to um i guess more stuff in the in the 2000s where you know whitney houston destiny child um you know doing mixes and stuff for these these artists um and then trying to develop um, new artists, um, I would always just try and and keep a certain level of production and stuff in play. Okay. Let's shout out to Tyree and Phil and all the people who are yelling at you. They say facts, facts. <laughs> they yelling facts. He's saying it. <laughs> Mike Clark, everybody, Reginald Davenport, all saying he's saying it. He's laying it down perfectly. Very eloquent. <laughs> Brings us to the point that so. you're DJing and you got the crowd and you're making records. And of course, you know, we're going to hear about this breakout record that's going to, you know, change your life. We know that it's coming. It is. There's a record like that? No, no. But, um, <laughs> So it's always um, that changes your life. You know that right. is one. So so what happened was uh, so you know house music is becoming more popular around Europe. There's um uh, there's a guy Colin Davies, uh, Meredith Cork, and a couple other people who put together a tour, a house tour of uh, Chicago artists to go around Europe. We went to maybe like um, maybe 25, 30 different cities you know, throughout the UK and Europe um, on a house tour. And we went, um, actually, 
performing. It wasn't a DJ thing. It was the artist performing songs. It was, um, you know, Full House, Daryl Pandy, myself, you know, uh, you know, Anthony Thomas and Don Connolly went along. Um, there's a group called Out of Control with two female vocalists. And so we were touring around uh, Paris Brightledge, um, touring around Europe, performing. And we were performing in some places where, um, uh, you know, some people really didn't understand English very well, the language, you know, there was a language barrier, but there wasn't a barrier between the music. That's know? right. It's like, um, you know, we were performing in these places and, and it was really like we were, um, we were rock stars, basically, you know, we'll go house stars. We were house stars <laughs> and, um, you know, traveling around the world. And the way that the people were reacting to the music um, was very inspiring and motivational. And for me, it was like, you know, um, that the music really transcends everything. And that's kind of where the birthplace of like Promised Land came from. What? Kind of started spinning around in my head. <laughs> right. While you were touring? While I was touring. Because, you know, you're seeing the appreciation that you know, music didn't really have, you know, the boundaries of color or, you know, race, you know, uh, language wasn't a factor that was, you know, holding people back from appreciating the music. So, um, so when I got back to Chicago, I was, um, I was like, wow, you know, how do I, how do I say that, you know, in a song? So I, um, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to create something that was um, that was classic, you know. So for me, classic was Motown, you know. So I kind of started listening to some Motown records and stuff like that, and kind of dissecting what made these records so classic, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so Promised Land, the music kind of came out of the, the I guess the spirit of Motown, you know. Oh really? Uh, fuse with house with the house you know with the electronic drums and and uh you know it's one of the only songs you that you have from back then to have like any kind of chord changes progressions and you know any kind of structure where um where it wasn't just like a, a repetitive track you know and then the the idea was um uh vocally and lyrically, um, how to, it was kind of like, um, how to create something that's kind of poetic, you know, that kind of explains the, the, the feeling of that we're all brothers and sisters, you know? And sure. so it, um, so it just mattered, it came to me and manifested, you know, like I said, it's a, like I, I'll say, a God inspired, uh, piece of the work and I think it um you know I think that by the grace of God that maybe I accomplished what I was set out to do to make a you know a classic record that told that story and Big time. Uh, so I, so I think it's you know I think it speaks to a lot of people um and um and then the, uh and then one thing with with promised land so um after doing that, getting that project done, 
there was a lot of stuff going on at DJ International. Uh, Rocky wanted to go on vacation. So I was, so he was like, yo, you know, you want to go to Mexico? So, you know, Julian. Uh, so it was me, Julian, Rocky, Benji went to, uh, to Cancun. <laughs> and so while we were in Cancun, you know, it was a, it was a crazy time. Because it, um, coincidentally, at that time, there was the mo- the Miss uh, Universe pageant was going on. So, you know. Uh, uh, and at one point we were videoing you know had cameras and filming different things and uh and benji was like joe why don't we use this this uh opportunity to try to shoot some footage for for uh a promised land video so promised land if you look at the video i got a video of it. partially in yeah, it shot partially in Chichen Itza. Oh, really? In the, in the Mayan oh, Joe, What year would you would you say that this is all going on? People so asking. This is like uh, 87, 80, so 87, 88. Yeah. Okay, so, so I'm going to show, as you're talking, I'm going to show, I'm not going to play the music. We're just going to show it so people can get an idea. Right. So now... You don't really see any videos done in these ruins because it's not really um, allowed to really film. So we were doing like guerrilla video. <laughs> ghetto, we call it ghetto fabulous video. Fabulous, right. So we had like little little cam, handy cams and stuff like that to. Um, and there's chosen Sonic keyboard. Look at him. Check him out. Right. <laughs> So, right, so these are, you know, the Mayan ruins with the pyramid and Chichen Itza. And um, on that million dollar budget, Joe, right? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Is that Anthony? That's Anthony. It's Anthony. Okay. Right. Wow. So this is all going on. So you're shooting, you're going around the world, and you're taking clips. No, this is just from from Cancun. Okay, so, so that was just from the vacation in Cancun that we, and and really, it's probably the one of the only videos from that time on House Movie. I think the only other video was uh, "Jack Your Body" uh, for Steve Hurley, but this was actually like you know a music video, music video. Um, so that was one thing, you know, just trying to stay ahead of the curve. There's walking around in some uh, Fiorucci suit, you know, like I said, we <laughs> looking fabulous, looking right. fabulous. Right. <laughs> Brothers, sisters, those words reverberate. This was at Medusa, the nightclub in Chicago. The part of it was done. Uh, And that's a house party when you see tambourines and stuff. Right, right. <laughs> so what was the defining factor for you to come up with the chord progressions at that time? Like, wh- wh- you know, what? Wh- it was just something hear? I was hearing in my head. It was really just, you know, uh, for me, it was about the feeling. Like even, even DJing is always about the feeling, you know, 
um, you know, transitioning from song to song and um, creating a mood. So for me, the chords and the progression and the changes was really about a journey, you know, um, a, w a way to musically tell the story, you know. Crazy. Yeah. Right. It's funny, you know, looking back at that, but like I say, it was just kind of like, okay, let's do this, you know. <laughs> you're not allowed to go up on the stairs anymore. You're not allowed. They don't let you go up there anymore. Right, right, yeah. They stopped all that because I know where you are. You're in Mexico, right? Right, yeah. In the Mayan area. I know that. Chichen right. Yeah, Chichen Itza. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You can't, you can't shoot there. No, you can't even go near the... <laughs> put a gate around there. You can't even go up those stairs. How did you right. get up there? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Oh, my God. So, so now looking back... You took you took handy cams, you took videos, and you put slapped this thing together. Rocky's probably shipping loads and loads and loads of singles on this record because I remember everybody wanted this record. Mm -hmm. this record it, it was a record that went from a very couple of guys to like holy shit, everybody and their mothers playing this record now. And every set, no matter if you went to a pop party or does the record ever get picked up, that version, overseas in the UK? So, um, so there's there's labels like uh, you know BCM, Brian Carter Music, um, who picked it up, um, and it really wasn't. It was like uh, Morgan Khan, um, you know, Morgan was a big proponent to pushing house music in the UK at the time. Street, what was this thing called? Street, um, Morgan Con Street uh, something. Street Sounds. Street Sounds, Street Sounds, Morgan Con Street Sounds, yep. And um, so those are really, EMI picked it up in France, but it was, it was never really like a major label release. What happened when, when Promised Land came out in the UK, Paul Weller in the Style Council did a cover version. That's right. I remember that because that came back as an import to New York. I remember that clear. So it was crazy because what they did was the same day Promised Land came out, they released their single maybe like five hours later. Because you know you can't do a cover if the song's not released yet. Oh. So that was Polygram, Polydor. So it kind of overshadowed the release of Promised Land in the UK. Um, I didn't sweat it too much because I think, well, you know, it's it's also exposing a whole different audience to the record at the same time. Um, and I think good attitude, good attitude, because I would have been flustered, pissed. <laughs> I'd have been like, "F that, take that crap out." We want because we want our versions to become the right. best, right? Come on, but good yeah. attitude, good attitude. Yeah. And Promised Land, the original, still is the song that the DJs go to oh. uh, over the Style Council. I never played that Style Council. It was your version was the version. It's right, right. So, so you know, it still has transcended time. You know, it's still, like I say, the the song that um, that works. Uh, you know, for the DJs. You know, and uh, you know, like in present, like I, I have a. 
like a, a JV deal with Armada at the moment. So Armada handles all my, you know, I have maybe like 250 songs that have been released that um that I don't know how many people are really aware of all the, the material. You know, one thing that I run into a lot with labels is um, no matter how fantastic the song may be, so it's like, Joe, can I have a promise land? Can I have a promise? Yeah, land? yeah. But Joe, can I give you what we were all thinking back then when this happened with the Style Council? A lot of us were saying this, and I may be wrong, but I'm going to talk out of character back at this oh, yeah. time. Let me return back to this time. Yo, man, that's a great black record. How dare they do that? That's what we were all thinking. We put that white crap out. Bingo, that's what we were all saying. Because the stock counts on Paul Weller was this white-sounding thing. We're like, yo, bring us the record that we all danced to, that we were all playing. That's a great black record. Why the hell did they push that shit? We were all saying it in Vinyl Mania or on in the record shops at that time. And we're like, I don't know. And they was like, they always do to black artists, right? No. Right. <laughs> it's like, yo, man, that's a... Yeah, that's a clip already for us. As it was out, it was a classic. Sorry, Joe. We I gotta be so, real. Uh, real. It's real time. I gotta say it. <laughs> oh, it's real. It's a great, great record. Your record, forget everybody else's covers. That shit yeah. the, the shit. That's it. Well, thank you, thank you. And that is true, and that is what happens, uh, you know, and it's that's that's it, it was really history repeating itself, you know, and that's why I kind of had to sit back and say, you know, let me let me look at look at it from a different perspective because well, uh, let me show everybody my glass of water. So he's looking at it from the glass half full, not this part. <laughs> I'm looking at the half empty part. Yo, where's all my coins went? Right, As a right. writer, producer, you know, this was that moment that you get the top of the pops. All that great luster that comes with England opens the door, the red carpet. Joe's touching every major artist, Dina Carroll, Lisa Stansfield now. You know, right. everything's in right. your hands because of that. You know the game. The game right. is right. You can yeah. do no wrong when you come with a record like that. Right. So, you know, it's it it has um it has still afforded me a lot of um, you know, a, a lot. Um, just being the record that it is and um, and people's artistic appreciation, you know, even, I mean, I talk to Paul all the time, so <laughs> still, you know. Uh, yeah, no, he's yeah. good at what he does. Don't get me wrong. He's talented, but you know what? At the time when this record is fresh, right, this, right. what you want to see is something that like that comes out, overshadows something that, you know, you knew and you can right. see everybody around you telling yo man you got you got a gold record you got a gold and it's like <laughs> and you know what it's always emphasis and and it's kind of like a blessing and a curse at the same time because everybody wants promised land to be their record <laughs> you know you you promised land is probably like the one of the most covered house records of all time um, you know, there's uh, rock versions. There's, you know, uh, there's a a version that's like a Bob Dylan version that's out there. <laughs> uh, you know, there's just a a, a, a lot of people. Uh, right, uh, 
You got rock right. version. You got <laughs> version. Yeah, it's great. No, listen, it's nice uh, after the fact. We're talking well, about in the middle of the, you know, of the when it first uh, when it first came out. But you know what? So I think too, um, my attitude may have been that way too because I'm not the um, on the stage in front of everybody person. You know, I I kind of prefer to be in the in the you know uh, in the background. Um, as opposed to, you know, I've, I've done stuff performing, and, you know, on stage and all that. But um, so I think I, I might have just had a different perspective, just, you know, going into it all, you know, from the top. Yeah, yeah. Things, you know. Um, but like I say, it's, 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 um, it's done its magic, you know, and it's still, it's still, it's all. So, so take us okay. So this record does its thing, and Joe Smooth now becomes the household name internationally. Mm-hmm. Where does it take you? Where where do we go from here? Because house music's taking a whole different turn, and things starting to take off. Well, so I mean, it's, it's giving me like most most of these uh, the the labels so all the labels heads of labels you know they know who i am i you know i can i can you know talk to your presidents of sony and universal and you know um it gives me a doorway of a a variety of different things you know even to the point where so you have um like let's let's take um uh patrick moxie for instance you know from ultra so I'm at home one day, I get a phone call and um, this guy calls me up and says, hey, Joe, this is Pat from Smart Bar. So he was like, I, I just wanted to call you, tell you, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to teach me how to DJ, um, you know, when he was like 18, 19 years old coming into Smart Bar. So I'm thinking the, the kid, Pat, from Smart Bar, I'm not. I'm not putting the two and two together. That Pat is Patrick Moxie. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm not going. Is it the same Patrick Moxie? Right. So. Wow. So he's like, yeah, Joe. This is this is Patrick Patrick Moxie. You know. So. So. Pat had- who? You going Pat who? <laughs> right, right. Pat who? Right. And um, so we've had you know reports since then. You know, just. Um, and you just don't know, you know, the people whose lives you may have touched through, um, you know, interaction and, you know, what you give to people and, you know, and for me, I'm very, um, you know, unconditional. Hey, if you need this, if you want help, you know, I'm the kind of person who's like, okay, yeah, whatever you need, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, play, put my part in, you know, to make it happen. Like I said, I want people to succeed. I want, you know, people to, to be able to put their best foot forward. So, um, so, you know, those relationships develop from, you know, with these companies, you know, uh, you know, Craig Coleman, um, you know, like these guys, right. They, they're, they were DJs back then. And, you know, you build those, you know, that rapport, those relationships. Um, so like I say, it's, it's giving me, um, uh, a voice in dealing with certain situations with people with these labels and, you know, maybe introducing other people to the, the companies, 
and it's it's um and then on the uh, you got a thing on the quality side you know production work um it kind of put me in a whole nother environment you know i've done stuff um like records for you know with kanye malik youssef uh common um you know there was a record i did a, a while ago with uh, an artist called avant named avant and uh, kiki wyatt um r&b record if you look on youtube it has like maybe 80 million hits <laughs> so i mean you know there's different it, it's put me in different arenas different areas um and it's i, I think uh, me not having that attitude like i'm pissed i'm this or that you know about different situations and just kind of learning how to make it roll you know to the next situation um has given me a different position than maybe a lot of other people have in the, you know, in the house music community. Yeah, because there's a lot of disgruntled brothers and sisters in our game. Yeah. It gets yeah. so upset and so angry, they can't see past it, and it just eats the eats it away at them. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and the thing is, is it's bigger than us. The music is bigger than us. And, um, and that you kind of really have to wrap your head around it you know i um you know i like i said i, I deal with like the heads of a r for armada you know michael is you know michael is mm -hmm. uh, you know there are people that are accessible because of you know just the musical history you know right right so Nobody knows in the beginning of the nineties with this record that you're actually a DJ. They think you, right, they think yeah. you just you know keyboard <laughs> singer. <laughs> Wait, Joe, the piano player from Chicago. Yeah, right, right. Oh no, it took a while through Europe, and that's it. And then maybe why, like, I come out and I DJ and I play at different at different places. You know, like I just got back from Mallorca doing a uh, uh, BCM. Um, international uh but there's spots you know and then when i get there and they hear me play it's like wow you know uh you know there's a lot of people that are like well you're my new favorite dj you know <laughs> um and it's and it's you know i play i play the way i play you know and it's uh and i think i play a little bit different than most of the other chicago djs um, what respect what would you say um, that makes you different just because of um my taste in music you know i have a i think i have a more eclectic taste and i don't i'm not afraid to take a chance with different styles of music um, mm -hmm. because i'm about if it's a good record you know it doesn't need to be my whole set doesn't need to be soulful house it doesn't need to be you know uh afro house it doesn't need to be any one thing in particular if i'm hearing something that i think I can segue into this, you know, from a totally different side. I'll push the envelope. Um, I just like I, I believe in a good dance record. I believe in the dancer, you know, and the sure. dancer's appreciation of the music. You know, I'm uh, I'm not really into, you know, it's got to be a certain thing. <laughs> gotcha. So off camera, when Joe and I were talking, we were reminiscing. And he, I asked him what happened around the time when he, you know, he stepped away from the warehouse. 
that he set up with Rocky and them. So he'll take you from there and bring us into today. So, so, um, so at one point with the warehouse, I kind of really kind of got tired of the whole club scene and, you know, um, you know, people drinking and, uh, just the, the whole party environment. I needed to get away from it. So I took a vacation to, to um, Italy, somewhere different, Rome. I took a two-week vacation. And while I was there, um, I had met up with um, a producer, um, Claudio Donato. And Claudio had uh, expressed to me that, you know, he really appreciated the music that I had done over the years and that it made him interested and maybe getting back involved in the music business. So, um, you know, Claudio has a massive collection uh, uh, catalog of music. You know, he's probably got 20,000, 30,000 records, you know, mm-hmm. in his catalog. And uh, so I said, you know, instead of you staying two weeks, why don't you stay for a month and um, see how I do business? And then if, uh, you know, after the month, let's sit down and talk and maybe um, we can come to some kind of uh, agreement and work on some kind of a, a label or something. So I stayed for the month. You know, I kind of watched how he did business. Um, he has a, a, um, a chain of record stores, Goody Music um, Studios. He has a club now over there. Um, and uh, so at the end of the month, I was like, okay, you know, this is something that I could get into. And um and uh, so I ended up staying for like six years, you know, working on um, putting together a label. With two months, guy. everybody. He gave it two months. <laughs> Remember this guy? We heard he said, I went on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> and then he hooks up with the people who did Kano, the group, and those re- records like First True Love Affair, Jimmy Ross, all that right. stuff. So you know who that is, Claudio and them, okay? Because I know the nice guys. And they say to him, no, Joe, stay, stay in Roma. We set you up. You work. Don't worry. Everything be good. And that's what happened. Six years later, 1997, Joe's coming still out. We're like, where have you been, Joe? Living in Rome. (laughs) I wrote you fifth. I said, Joe, you in Rome? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Joe's hiding in Rome, living the life. Living right, right. You know, it was a nice life, relaxed. Yo, Paul Italiano, un poco that stuff. Oh, un poco, Palato Italiano, mamma mia. Look at it, it speaks Italian, nice, good. And um, so, so I ended up, back, ended up coming back to the States after, you know, staying there for, like I said, five, six years um, with, you know, Was family. it a good decision for you to do that, you think, in hindsight? To come back to the States? No, no, no. To do the whole Roman, to do the oh, entire... Yeah. I think so. I think it was good. I think I should have stayed in Rome and then maybe done a little bit more. Um, and I, I think I think what happens is... Um, <clears throat> well, I guess it's two-sided because what happens when I'm in Rome, I'm doing more production, a little DJ here and there. But I think it what that did was it disconnected the DJ side of things with people from... Um, from my story, you know, so that's, right. uh, so like I said, a lot of people really didn't realize that I actually was a DJ, you know, uh, and, uh, and what kind of a DJ that, you know, that, you know, like I said, was one of the top DJs in Chicago back in the 
in the 80s, going into the 90s. And um, so a, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, you know, your DJs like your Mike Dunn and um, uh, Glenn Underground, Paul Johnson, you know, that's where Paul, Paul got his rest in peace, where he got his visibility too was actually at the warehouse, you know, Randolph. Um, you know, my thing was really giving exposure to these, the great DJs in Chicago. Um, and it's still something, something uh, that I look at today. Like, it, like we're, we're looking to do something um, in Chicago again, not just a club, but a club, a house museum, a cultural center, uh, uh, so a, a place fun. that you can um, so needs you know, to be right learn how to you know DJ and learn how to produce music, learn how to engineer, you know, uh, uh, a creative space. So you know that's that's what's in the in the works for the near future. Also, what what um, working uh, on something with um, Gary from the Hawks and Whores. Um, oh yeah, Gary, yeah, Gary Hawks and Deadman, yeah. Gary Hoxton Whores, my God. It's crazy. Yeah. From for next year, trying to put together a uh, a pilgrimage to Chicago of um, you know, people from UK, people from Amsterdam, Italy to come to Chicago so they can see the birthplace of house music. Oh. And um, and you know, tour around a little bit, some of the clubs, um, do some events, um, to make it, you know, it's kind of like a, a a trip to the to Mecca, you know. <laughs> um because I think it's a lot of it's on a lot of people's bucket list to come to Chicago who are into house music. Um, so we're trying to organize, structure something that's going to be appealing to uh, you know to your your house audience. That's what's up, and that's awesome. I mean, you know, again, I'm going to ask a question. It takes a lot of funding to get a museum and everything together, right? That's what you're here for, Lenny. We're looking out to you. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm good at bringing people together. We got to get major investors to come play. Listen, everybody, get you, go deep in your pockets and start giving in because right, we exactly. got a museum. Well, for this. It's so it's so necessary. So there's you know there are people in, in you know who are interested in, in uh, being part of of that um, and. Um, you know, there people are good are are interested in in helping to keep the house history alive. You know, so, legacy. Yeah, the whole legacy. So, um, so it's happening. It's coming. It's coming together. And you know, again, everybody always asks you, Joe, Joe, bring me a promise land. All right, we know you can't do this anymore. How many promise lands can you do? Right. What do you do to keep it fresh? For you to keep Joe smooth out there, well, you know what I, I'm always do, uh, trying something new. I'm always trying to uh, be cutting edge on one side, and then the other side. Like I have a, I have a project coming out called the Jack Zone, which is kind of actually reaching back to the um, the foundation of house music. Because what I what I've seen is um, like the kids today are really into the eight oh eights, nine oh nines. They're really stripped down. How do you make it? Um, how do you make it contemporary, um, so that it's accessible to to their parties? Um, and my my one of my things has always been like, so when 
when we were kids coming up, uh, it was always trying to find something fresh and new. What happens a lot today is a lot of the DJs are still playing the same stuff that was fresh and new back then. Tell me about it. Of, uh, instead of moving on to the future or trying to create something new or trying to incorporate, you know, what's, what's happening. Um, and, and I think it, it hurts a lot of the DJs. So when you have, um, when you have your more like soulful DJ and they don't embrace like a, like a David Pan or, you know, David is kind of to me on the wire, you know, between like soulful house and funky kind of tech house. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when somebody like that does like, a, or, or uh, like when Diplo did Love to the World, you know, his version. Right. <laughs> you now, it's accessible enough, but a lot of the DJs that you see playing more soulful house never played that record. <laughs> you know, but it's a hot record. And, right. um, and it's there's um uh there's a lot of music that's out there that's accessible that is um that I think like the younger crowd can appreciate as opposed to consistently playing for the older crowd. And the thing is, okay, how do you bring the younger crowd into the fold musically? Um, you have to embrace what they're listening to because that's what you came from. Sure. You came from the crowd originally. So you to route the you know. And so it, it, that's something that um that I think is important because you know the reality is it's a whole bunch of people's grandparents at the party. <laughs> With their canes and their walkers, and um, and you know, uh, people are only getting older, so you need to understand um, that there's strength in the music, but you need to move that strength to a, a um, you know that foundation to the youth. You know, the youth. You need to get the youth to appreciate the music. And not to a point where it's, um, you know, you. I've seen some young DJs and they're playing the same music to attract the older crowd as opposed to learning how to play to their peers, you know, or take that music and deliver it to their peers so they appreciate the music. You know, I've seen the mixture of, like, with the younger crowd and the older crowd. And what happens is a lot of the time the younger crowd they don't really want to party with their parents, you know? No. <laughs> so you have to create an environment that they're comfortable in and um, to help keep the legacy alive, you know? Yep. So that's what I see. So I, I so that's what I try to work with younger artists, like even like the new songs and stuff that I work on. I'm working with kids, you know, they're 18 to, to 26, you know, as vocalists and stuff like that for new projects. I don't really work with a lot of the older, you yeah. know, more established artists. I'm trying to uh, try to break new artists, you know. You trying, you, you still have that same rule of thumb. Break the new, push the envelope, make the new record, 
Let's push the new sound. Let's keep forging forward. Let's not yeah. live off our loins and lay down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's keep pushing the envelope. Where can we take this? And what's funny is old is new. Yeah. What you yeah. did back then is fresh now. And the UK, God bless, because I've been playing my last tour. They are appreciative to our house music culture and disco culture. Yeah. So it makes it a lot easier to play new records that fit in with the older stuff. Whereas over here, something is lost in the translation in America. Like music. Absolutely. You know know what I'm saying? Like what happened to good music? The crowd that we have to play for is... The AARP crowd. It's terrible. But these are our people. We used to come out when we were doing this round one. We're at round 12 now. You know, it's like, it's crazy. And you know, these people, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know them. It's like, whoa, this is a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't see the young kids coming through they're going more towards the techno and the edm side yeah the electric daisies they go follow david getter <clears throat> they follow that sound because every, it's like a sheep mentality they their friends are following so they all follow it instead right. of being no i'm gonna step to the left because that is crap and this is really good music yeah and you know you can so even if you if if you go back to the pace has changed, you know the pace of music has changed. When you go back to your uh, like what we were playing back in the in the eighties and nineties, you know the tempos have changed, the 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 groove, the rhythm of the groove has changed, and so it's kind of like um, a lot of the a lot of the music that people are stuck on. It's kind of it's almost loungy sounding now as opposed to what a young person really wants to dance to, you know? Right. Um, you know, when I, when I go to these events, uh, unfortunately, sometimes I'm the only black DJ, <laughs> you know, you know, and the, um, and the audience too, maybe 95%, uh, white as opposed to uh, a, a balanced mixture of, don't um, you want me baby <laughs> and don't you know, all the time. that was what we were playing that time and we were, right and that's what we were don't playing you so, me. and i played problems dear more right after it or right. you play black menage i yeah i remember one afternoon right. here records and that's what these people want to hear when they come right i know and, we, and then you're like now I gotta play Jack and House music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's some somewhere the, there was like a uh the translation was lost and people got so segmented in, into you can only play this, you know, and that's that's well, I uh, think brother brother Joe, I think that's when hip hop really came commercial. That's when everything really got segregated. Yeah, right around that time when Puffy started releasing those records, and it's like, right, yeah, 
the last big record we all remember, and that, maybe I'm wrong, but Gypsy Woman was that time, Robin S. Well, those were the last two American right. house records. After that, it was kind of like done. The majors were finished with it. Thank yeah. God for Europe and UK, because we would have had, right. no, <laughs> had no careers. They would have all died. It would have all yeah. just died right there. It would have been like, pause, and that's the end of it. And and that's and that's something important to uh, house music became part of the culture in Europe as opposed to here. You know the the problem here is in the states is um so you can go back to the whole disco thing and you know the disco demolition and um what people fail to realize is um, dance music. Dance music is part of everybody's life story, you know. Um, really only focused on dance music to generate additional revenue when a, when the rock wasn't really happening, you know. Funny, right? Pe people don't understand that Madonna's a, Madonna's a dance music artist. Um, Prince was a dance music artist. Michael Jackson was a dance music artist. That all these artists were dance music artists, and you know they were pushing a commercial um, circle. Even Whitney Houston, Chaka Khan, you know these were really dance music artists, and it's just um, it wasn't really embraced the same way you know America wants to be rock and roll. And so never, even the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, you know, all those disco records, Saturday Night Fever album was one of the biggest selling records ever. Of know, all time. Of all, all time. time. And it was a dance music album. Outshadowed know. only by Michael Jackson with the Thriller. With Thriller, which was a dance music album. Thank you. So, Let's go on. Let's keep going. So, so the thing is, the perspective is wrong, you know? And I think if... um, No, oh, because they go right away like this. Who wants that gay shit? Who wants that? <laughs> That's people that bought it. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, R&B department, if you bought the R&B department a dance record, they would mm -hmm. say to you at the majors, and you know this because I've heard the same thing. I, right. We're not working this record. We're not working this yeah. record. How could you not work this record? Exactly. exactly. Yo, it's just a bomb. It's a hit. We ain't working this record. And they wouldn't. And, and they wouldn't. And that's the problem. But it may sell a few million copies and they'll make the money from it, but they just won't. Yo, you got lucky with that. You heard that uh, too. They got lucky right. with that. <laughs> what? Exactly. Yo. Second, how much do we have to defy gravity to make you understand that this is really good music? Which part of gravity we got to give you? And so, you know, it's and and maybe at some point, <laughs> because what else is there right now? Right, right now there's EDM. You know, EDM is you know is what it's beautiful music. Yo, that's good music, man. Now, now, <laughs> now the thing with EDM, EDM. The reality of EDM is EDM is the commercialization 
of house music. Right. But it's the commercial, it's the commercialization. And so like back at the warehouse, what we were big at doing is taking acapellas, um, drum tracks, building the song up, playing the hot, the great, the best part of the record. So building that record up, dropping the music out, pulling the acapella play, um, creating a mood of building and dropping points from the records, which is exactly what an EDM record is. You know, they just took it and commercialized it. And um, even to the point where, like when you think about uh, one of the Avicii levels, you know, and he took one of the, the vocals that they used to play at the house clubs as an acapella and created an EDM song around it, you know? That was probably one of the biggest selling records, again. Right. From, it's, a, it's, it's a bastardized version of when of you... Write, yeah, when you white a fire. Of, of you DJing, right, of you DJing through the night at a house party. That's right. You would do that in a, your night set. You would do that, drop an acapella and make the crowd scream, bring the drums in, bring the drums out, play the bass. You would do all that. That would be your routine if you're that type of DJ. They, they just arrange the record like that. <laughs> Ain't and funny, Joe. Really work. <laughs> Joe is sad. Joe is sad. I want to cry when you say, you're making me laugh. I'm like, hey, cry. I'm like crying every time. Yo, let me give everybody a good, good indication. 2005, 2006, EDM blows up. And house DJs like myself have to go sit down because we ain't hot no more like that. This younger, blonde-headed, poor guy is now your man. Calvin, Calvin Klein model. That's right. <laughs> Calvin Klein. You don't want the Doughboy. You want the Calvin right. Klein model. <laughs> Because Pillsbury dough tastes damn good, but you know it tastes good. You've had it. You've enjoyed it, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. You, you ate it, regurgitated it, loved it, worked with it. every, And now all of a sudden, you want Calvin Klein. Right. And Who ain't making of, music. He's ghosted. <laughs> and what a lot of people don't realize, like, you know, we get back to the soundtrack of, of people's lives. You go to a clothing store, they're playing music in the background, house music. That's right. Bingo. You got that right. Everywhere you go, that's the soundtrack playing in the background. But it still doesn't get the credit. That ain't music. <laughs> Which is crazy. Joe, you call that music, Joe? That ain't music. Right. And you're like, wow. You just see, you don't know what to say. You, I'm always overwhelmed by that moment. But hearing that, I go, wow, that ain't music. But yet, I hear a hip-hop record. Yo, that's just hot. Everybody's like. Right. <laughs> Yo, that's our house music. Ready? Slow the pitch down. Because I'm listening, I'm going, that's house music. Am I wrong? Right, yeah. No. I no. give up, Joe. I give up. <laughs> Joe, where do I sign? I give up. Right. 
You know, everybody who's watching this, you know what we're talking about. You've all said it to yourselves, too, when you hear the music. You must say to yourself, man, this is a sad day when you hear certain of these records. You go, man, this ain't about the music no more. It's about the social media part. That's what I was going to ask you now in this part. Now that the social media and the music has become the catalyst, or we should say our business card, how do you deal with that now in this climate? Where's your mindset for this now? So social media... I'm still trying to wrap my head around it all. <laughs> you know, not not um not like your, your TikToks and, and you know all that Twitter, but um but actually the next level of it with your metaverses and your NFTs, um in that situation because like right now I'm working on a um something with Warner Brothers. So this is the 50th anniversary for the um. Superfly soundtrack. And um Curtis Mayfield Superfly? Yeah, yeah. Superfly. And, um, right. So I'm trying to um work on something with uh you know, talk to Marshall a little bit about it. Um Paris Bright looks a little bit about it, about recreating the music. So we um may end up doing it with the um Chicago. Uh, Philharmonic Jazz Orchestra. Okay. And, uh, you know, to redo the music in house, in a house style, um, you know, have it redone and also do um, a metaverse concert with it, uh, with Warner Brothers, you know. Um, Warner kind of brought up the situation. So it's just, um, so for me, it's, it's always, trying to be ahead of the curve and um can i can i break yeah, in for a second on that yeah so let me understand it because i had linda clifford on the i i, I see linda clifford talking right now okay <laughs> her tom records is chicago correct chicago. exactly okay superfly is chicago yeah. and the sound is curtis mayfield right so Warners came to you and said, "We want you to dust, take the dust off of it, and and bring this up to today's sound, basically, right?" Right. Interesting. What is their angle for that? Are they trying to That's release a celebration for the fifth? Got it. Okay, it's a celebration. Yeah, NFTs. Uh... <laughs> no, because I'm wondering. Like I said, Chicago. It's Curtis Mayfield. It's all that, all that and everything there. Right. And historic and historic in its own right. Yeah. So it's, um, there's a lot going on. There's, you know, I, I try to keep my hands in the, in the, in a little bit of everything, um, in a way to, um, and like I said, incorporated with house, um, and it's really about, it's really about trying to bridge the gap. You know, I've, I've done, um, uh, remixes on stuff for like Chaka Khan. I've done records with, um, you know, Casey from Go to See. There's a, um, I got records with, you know, George Clinton, uh, you know, uh, house tunes where um, the thing is to be able to maybe get it to radio, you know, get the exposure with some of these artists that, um, 
that people know and are comfortable with. And they kind of, you know, open the doorway for, like I said, a younger artist, a younger new artist to kind of come through with being able to play commercially accessible house records. The question everybody asks is this, because radio is what we'll say in a terrestrial sense, because we all remember how radio, how importance of radio. But is it more important to get the Spotify lists, you know, those detailed... Oh, that, that, that has to happen also. Yeah, that has to happen also. More so, so than the Spotify. radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Spotify is, um, you know, it's really understanding the logarithm that points to your music. And there, uh, there are some people that I've worked with who, who do that. That's what... Uh, that's one thing they do. They develop um, software that figures out what Spotify is looking for. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's all technology. Like I said, it's all about keeping up with the keeping up keeping up with the pace of what's happening around. That's prob- That's the pro- That's partial to the problem. Is understanding yeah. what our game field is. This field is more about Spotify than it is radio. Yeah, you know, it's like if you don't get those algorithms to start firing, and that record doesn't get because it, if the record gets onto those big playlists, and not many of independents do. It's very rare. It's more of a major yeah. label when you look, but. If you're so lucky to get your record signed these days with some sort of distribution with a major and it gets on those particular lists, you're talking millions and millions of streams, which then turns to trickle effect into real money. But it's not like it used to be where you could put a record out on vinyl and make a living. It's just a different world now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it takes, what is it like? Um, a million streams to get maybe four to six thousand dollars to translate if you're lucky if it's not split up uh you know among a whole bunch of other people at the same time so um then it's it's like i said wrapping your head around like uh what's the um what was the girl who was um uh the cash out girl Oh you know, yeah. She yeah. She generated like fifty million dollars on uh, whatever that platform was she was on from people. Uh, yep. um, yeah. <laughs> so you know, what he had yeah, that but those stories are one in a million. Yeah. Not everybody's Absolutely. able to do that. It's like somebody gets lucky and they get that one time. Right. Now we try to do it. We'll get five people to come on. That's it. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we you don't, you don't know what it is. Like I was talking, um, like um, there's a, a young guy who's uh, who's out here, DJ producer, uh, Jay Electro. You know, he posted up a little bit on his on uh, Facebook that he was posting some stuff and somehow or another got 50 million streams. You know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. You laugh again. We were laughing about that dude. And then we're trying to figure out, well, how the hell do we do that? How do you implement that into your music? And right. Into- Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, and that's what it is, figuring that out and, uh, you know, wrapping your head around it. And for me, it's really about 
back to embracing the next, the generation, the younger generation, because they have their heads wrapped around it, you know? So it's like sitting with them, talking with them, uh, and getting some of them on your team because they, that's what they're into. You know, that's, that's their life right now. That's their life. So, you know, you have to, like I said, you have to remember that's where you came from. That's right. You know, that's right. Yep. Joe, Joe, (laughs) we know what Joe's secret is. Wrap yourselves around some 18-year-old kids <laughs> and have them real close, bend them in real tight. Make a team. Make the Joe team. Joe, the Joe Smooth team, like a ball team. All right, all of you are going to go in a room. You're going to work with some laptops. You're going to figure this thing out and give me some answers. And that's what Atlantic does. And <laughs> the rest yeah. of the record label do it. They got a bunch of kids exactly. in a room. And they're looking at all the records and seeing algorithms and we'll sign that record. And that's how they were signing records. They weren't signing them. They weren't even hearing them. They were just signing them because the record was spiking. Ain't that something? Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't listen to the record, Joe. Don't listen to the record. We don't care how it sounds. <laughs> just bring it in. <laughs> and that's why, like, even, even a lot of us don't know a lot of the new records, the new artists you there's so many artists that like a lot of people have never heard of that are getting a billion views a billion streams on youtube the kids know them but our generation really hasn't isn't really exposed because you're not out there looking the same way you're not building spotify playlists you're not building you know uh you're still stuck doing the things the traditional way as opposed to was actually happening around you, you know? Right. You're 100% right. And that's why we have to say, we just keep doing our music and just keep pushing and do what we can. And one of one of us will crack through. We all we always yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't stop, Joe. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. You know, I, I like I said, I've been doing a lot of... Um, of um, you know, networking with, like, like I said, I have a, a JV deal with Armada, so I kind of um, pay attention to the artists that they're working with. You know, Armada is, um, I guess, the the largest independent record label, right? You know, globally. Right. And, um, you know, when I I, I kind of paid attention to them when I saw that, you know, Eric Murillo's label was signed under them. You know, Hector. Hector Romero, um, uh, Kevin Saunderson's label to sign under them. There's a lot of our late our guys <laughs> working with Armada under, uh, under Armada as you know sub uh, have sub label deals, and um, and then just you know hearing like you know I, they send me music all the time about you know like the new stuff that's coming through and. Um, and there's a lot of actually really good artists that are coming through. Um, and Armin is just lucky. You know, he is his label. So I know a lot of the stuff that comes through, if it's a hit, he's like, this is my record, you know? Yeah, right. It did because it was on his wing. Exactly. Right. You know, like the he, that blah, blah, blah record he has. You know, it's a real simple record. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. 
but there's a record called Blah, 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 right? <laughs> and there's something that is, for me, it's like a cartoon. Um, that's something, too, is um, um, when you listen to artists, uh, one thing is that it's, it's about a tone, a texture, a style. Um, if you think even back to like Michael Jackson, Michael's voice was not a normal voice. <laughs> you know, it was very animated. Prince, his voice is very, was a very animated voice. So I think that it kind of lends itself to, you know, the, the child inside of us and what we're drawn to. Um, and it's, it's drawn to something, a, a character, you know, when you have artists, uh, Mary J. Blige, you know, her voice has a certain tone. It's not the greatest voice in the world, but it's got a character to it. So, you sure. know, that that's something about, um, like, it's not about the greatest singer. It's about something that, and I, like I said, I think it, 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 um, it goes back to our childhood and cartoons, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, so it's about finding, finding something that, um, um, that touches you at, at the core, as opposed to, you know, it's, it's subliminal, subconscious, you know, it's not, like I say, you, you've got some incredible singers but they never make it, make it. No, I know. I know, Joe. And because you know what? There's a pyramid. There's only X amount at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. The rest is sliding down. Yeah. And and it's a million great, great singers. Oh, my God. There's, Jesus, every time you turn around, it's like, how come you don't have a record deal? You know why. Right. <laughs> because the big three pushes the button on only X amount. And that's yeah. it. Inclusive of the promotion, the promotion that goes behind it, the machine. It's just a game. It's it's they pick who they want to make that game go all the way, you know? Something which just caught my attention. So I have um, so back at, in the limelight days, um, you know, I, I go to New York or you know, in Chicago, um, Andy Warhol and Basquiat used to like dancing to the music. And this this right here is something that uh, Basquiat <laughs> gave to me. Oh, wow. I was wondering if that was his painting. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's something he gave me. And then Andy Warhol actually gave me a, um, a watercolor of Basquiat. He was like, you painted a picture of him like when he was a teenager. <laughs> and... Um, I wonder, so what to the... <laughs> I wonder what that's worth on his wall, everyone. What? It's got to be worth some we won't talk about that. No, <laughs> like that. <laughs> Joe lives at 1800 Washington Avenue, Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just history. You know, Keith Herring's, all that stuff like that. You know, those guys. Um, they were pictures in the New York Club. Appreciation, their appreciation, right, of the music and stuff like that. And, um, they appreciated the way we appreciate their art. They appreciate our art. It's it, it, and it's incredible that you have that because I was looking at that for a while, going, I wonder if that is his painting. I was afraid <laughs> to, I should have asked for whatever reason we were engulfed in the Promised Land thing, uh, <laughs> and I forgot about that. 
Joe, we can't thank you enough. You are a true legend of the game. And you don't seem to be stopping, which is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You know, we're fortunate to still be in this game. You know, we've been in it for a long time. You know. You're telling me, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't earn these gray hairs for nothing. <laughs> Damn. I sometimes I was talking to David Morales the other day and he was in he was in on vacation and he mm -hmm. said to me, it was Netflix and a book, no music. And I said, How's that? He says, it wasn't easy. <laughs> I said, let me guess why. I said, because music to us is like crack. It's it's in our, you know, we we fiend for it. If we don't hear it, you're looking, you're, you're looking for something. You, you, you know, you as a DJ, as a as a record producer, as a musician, you're fiending for that, that yeah. hear something. Even if it's anything, you want to hear something just to to give you maybe a push or that, you know, that lift right. or an idea, you know, and I'll tell you, Joe, don't stop doing yeah. what you do because you still inspire many of a generation. Well, it's appreciated. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I, um, like I said, that's important for me to, you know, I mentor people, you know, if people need help with something, you know, um, you know, feel free to reach out. It's not, you know, I'm accessible. So, so on the, on the Twitch side, some of the people like, Mark Tiny and Anastasia Beaverhouse are thanking you and talking about the Chicago legacy. They said they learned so much. Timothy Callahan, he's he was in it. Um, uh, San Francisco, I forget his name. San Francisco, oh God, they're going to kill me. I'm sorry, guys. San Francisco Butch Boy has says, I was at those clubs that you were talking about in Chicago. I remember he was writing. So, oh, so. Yeah. They were all, they were there. Joe, a lot of people who came, come in were there when you were doing what you were doing and in its heyday. Oh, you right, know? right. And it was a good time, you know, and, and I'll, I'll one other thing. So, you know, I talked to like young kids, 12, 15, and they say, wow, we really, they know the music. And they're like, we wish we lived in the 80s because it seemed like it was so much fun. Joe? <laughs> When I was in the 80s saying, I was like, damn, I wish I was in the 70s. <laughs> the disco thing blew up. And I was, but I was too young to be at the clubs. But I was like, damn, I, right. even until now, I still say, I missed that. I missed my calling. But you know what? I wouldn't have been able to make all the records I made. I didn't, I mean, right. I wouldn't have done right. what I did. Exactly. You know? exactly. It's crazy. You know, it's all part of our history. You know, our legacy is the music we were exposed to, you know, back then. And and it, all that plays a part in, in house music, you know, just the different styles of music, the eclectic nature of things, you know, is, is where we all come from, you know. And where we're going. Exactly, exactly. Because you got to know where you came from to know where you're going, right? Exactly, yeah. And Joe, you say, go ahead. More, more, more DJs need to pay attention to all the music that's out there. What, Joe? What? Everybody's playing their own stuff right now because they're promoting their stuff. That's all it is yeah. right now. Everybody, we had this conversation other DJs. Everybody's playing their own stuff because they're into promotion and product placement. Right. It's <laughs> like great music. Great music. I know. No. Because yeah. when you hear a DJ play who's a record producer, you hear only <laughs> his stuff. And you right. go, somebody else you only hear 
you, there's very few guys that are playing the part as DJ and playing yeah. everybody's music because it's just, the, the, in other words, to, for the selection and entertainment value of training your audience to the new material. Yeah. As we were taught, that's how I was taught. Strive to find that record that nobody else yeah. has. Push the envelope. No. Ah, ah, ah. Now? It's like paint by paint color set, paint by numbers. People are gonna write yeah. me hate. Lenny, how dare you? Listen to me carefully. <laughs> I'll say it one more time. It's like paint by numbers, colors, sync button, color paint. So you have you eight colors, and number one is red, and number two is black, and the and the and it's sad. It's really yeah. sad. But that's the generation now. Let's play it real safe. I'm gonna do it my way, and you're gonna hear my music, and because it's my night. And here's the other thing, Joe. Everybody wants to go see Iris Elba in the UK. The actor. Right. <laughs> and what do I see? Everybody in the crowd like this. Right. Yeah. The whole crowd. They're dancing. I swear <laughs> yeah. to God. I was like, that is so... I just... Back in the day, you would have been laughed at if you would have been doing that. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, take that shit. Get that. Put your hand down. You know, you they would say, put that. What are you doing? Now, the whole thousand people have their hands in the air with two phones. Right. Like, yeah. Making sure everybody at home that they're with Iris Elba at the gig. Come on, right. man. Absolutely. I'm old now, everybody. He is actually the DJ, but you know. <laughs> No, Iris Elba. No, no, Iris Elba can DJ. There's no question. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. They're not dancing. Oh, I know, but they're not there. <laughs> they're not right. They're not participating in the in the party. <laughs> they're filming it so they can go home later and look at it again in awe. Yo, I was right. Iris Elba. Look at me yeah. on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, and and ah, oh, please, yeah. everyone, Absolutely. give your standing ovation to. Chicago's finest, Joe Smooth, an architect, an incredible person, a life changer, fantastic DJ, an innovator. He's not stopping. So next week, before we let say thanks to Uncle Joe, we got another architect coming on from the disco scene, Joe Corsi. Disco 92, WKTU, New York. Getting Joe Corsi to tell you all about what happened when disco exploded in New York. Joe Corsi. Don't miss it. Same place, same time, except we'll be making a complete move shortly to Twitch. We're no longer we part of the Facebook family. Sorry, everyone. I already shut down the Instagram too live. As you notice, there's been no Instagram live to people probably wondering where the hell am I? Well, I'm on Twitch now. That's where we're going. And you can catch the podcast, of course, the following day and the YouTubes. And Friday, we're doing it. The True House Stories takes over. Two o'clock. We moved it from 12 to 2 p.m. on Twitch. So I'll be on Friday, 2 to 5. Hope to see you all there. Uncle Joe Smooth, I give you a bow. And Tyree and all of them are saying, God bless you for telling the truth and the factual story. It needed to be said. Everyone out there, have a good night. Joe, don't leave us. 
Thank you again. Catch you all Friday and next week. <laughs>